listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 136 of the Testudo Times podcast, where we've hit Maryland football bingo. After all that we've seen this year, a Maryland quarterback now has a torn ACL. Thomas, uh, this was inevitable. I don't want to say it was because we've had a few seasons recently where, well, I mean, we've had a few seasons recently where it hasn't happened. Like my first two years of school, it didn't, you know, we get, we escaped with 2015. It was just, everyone was bad. And then 2016 was like different injuries, uh, but the last the last two years have been rough. Well, you weren't there my first year. You Ryan wasn't there as well. He's also on the show, and everyone tore their ACL that year. Uh-oh. That was uh, that was the introduction, I think, to Maryland angry quarterback hating God, which in some ways partially justifiable considering what's happened with the program. But I mean, what did Kasim Hill do? to deserve two torn ACLs in two separate years on two different knees. It's just kind of, it's just not nice to him. And I like Kasim Hill. And I don't know, he's had a great season, but I feel terrible that that happened to him again. We'll get to football in a second because that's depressing. I actually want to start, Thomas, by being positive, And we'll talk about basketball-related things. The season has started with three wins with varying degrees of Maryland choose-your-own-adventure paths. Uh, but let's go into the positives of these games, and there have been some interesting positives in this first set of games. They started slowly against Navy, then picked it up. They played well against uh, Delaware and then slowed down a bit, as we talked about in the last show, and they cruised against NCA&T. So what are the biggest takeaways for those first three games for you? So for me, it's, it's the two big men. Um, Jalen Smith, his debut was a 19-13. and 13. Um, I mean, we talked about that last week because it was before the last podcast, but, you know, Bruno Fernando had his own double-double and it could have been even crazier. He had a 17-12 and 12 that, you know, Mark Turgeon said himself, like, had he not, he had a 14-9 and nine at the half and, you know, just kind of picked up a couple fouls quick in the second half and Maryland didn't really need him after that. Wasn't as good without him, but it didn't really matter. So um, those two guys against the smaller lower level teams have been every bit as dominant as you would hope um bruno fernando foul trouble which also seemed like an inevitability but he hasn't really cut that out yet and that could be an issue down the line you kind of cut me off before i could say while on the floor yeah i know i know but i think now at this point when we're talking about bruno fernando it's implied fair unfortunate to say uh ryan who was here again uh, happy to have him back uh what do you think about these first Maryland basketball games of the new season, considering the opposition? Yeah, I think uh, it's in some ways the uh, it started off a little concerning, I'd say. Um, you maybe I'm just the uh, you know the downer after everything with the football program, no, that's um, me. but hey, I'm over here. Uh, it's there were a couple different views you could have on this team entering the season. Um, I wasn't really sure what mine was, but it was probably not quite as rosy as everyone else's. But I would say the uh, the NCA and T really seeing them blow them out is really what I needed to see right now because the Delaware game, first game of the year, young young kids, you can you can write it off certainly, but ended up a lot closer than it should have been. And Navy looked, Navy got to be in that game for way too long, even if Maryland did certainly pull away by a lot at the end. Um, But yeah, seeing them really take it to a team was good. And uh, yeah, from everything I've read, seeing, uh, I I did think it was interesting what uh, Turgeon said about Daryl Morsell, how he benched him and he really uh, came back well from it. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, they've, they seem fine. I'm, I'm excited for that Virginia game, which really can't get here soon enough. Uh, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be good. Hofstra should be, I mean, Ken Palm has them about 150, um, which is kind of the perfect kind of test you need right now, I think. Uh, so interested to see what goes on. 
I know I said on the basketball preview show I didn't think Jalen Smith was automatically a lock for the first round next year. I, I regret saying that because I've only watched one of the first three games, but when I, you watch Jalen Smith, that's a freak. I know that we're all gushing over Duke at this point, and we're not going to spend time on that, but Jalen Smith is a freak, and he is really, really good. For being as slight as he is, Thomas, he has the 6'10 frame, and his offensive game is crazy for a player of his size. I know this is modern basketball where 6'10 players can play out on the wings like that, but he is really, really good. It's like if you combined Kevin Herter and Jake Lehman in some ways and fused them together, create one player with all of those kinds of skills. Yeah, I mean, well, we haven't seen Herter's passing in Jalen Smith yet, and I don't know if he has that, and I don't know if it matters. Um, no, I mean, he's he's definitely shown a lot of why he was the recruit that he was. I mean, you, you don't get the recruiting rating he got in the ranking and the hype by accident. Um, it's been it's been good to see that it's translated immediately, and he, ha- he really hasn't been as overmatched, you know, defensively as I, you know, I had feared. Obviously, it's these are pretty small teams that they're playing. Um, Delaware had a little bit more size than most mid-majors. North Carolina A&T was tiny, and so it was, it was good to see him um, stack up as well as he did against Delaware in particular. But when you look at him just of his offensive ability... That's insane for a player at 6'10". And I know, yeah, as I said... He's also already ahead of uh, Bruno Fernando as far as just baptizing people. It's kind of funny when you think about that because Bruno Fernando last year ingratiated himself to Maryland fans by eliminating people's livelihoods. And Jalen Smith is kind of doing that already. And again, when you get into the big games, if Jalen Smith and Bruno Fernando are eliminating people underneath the basket, like imagine them doing that to Ethan Happ when they play Wisconsin. The Maryland fans are going to go nuts. That, I mean, that's the kind of thing you fantasize about. I don't know if, like, it doesn't seem realistic that that could happen. No, it doesn't seem realistic, but I'm trying to think optimistic here. I'm trying not to be negative about my own things. I don't know. But in more serious talk, Bruno Fernando, we kind of knew, Thomas, what he was. At this point, my, my biggest concern is the concern I think everybody has is can he stop taking silly fouls and taking himself out of the game? Because Maryland, when he plays, is really, really good. When he doesn't, they have some serious issues. And at this point, he still hasn't really cut out the foul trouble yet. But in other words, I mean, it, it's not like it's exactly the same as a year ago, but it's like in some ways a better version of a year ago. He's better when he's on the floor, but he's still not on the floor as much as Maryland would need him to be. Yeah, I mean... When when we've kind of asked about it, Mark Turgeon, you know, said just like in the moment, you know, those fouls, this, you know, this one is like that's kind of just a rule that it wasn't necessarily a contact foul, but it was like technically a foul. Like he was in he was in the arc and he didn't jump or something. And then there's the the hook thing um, that he got called for, I think, twice against Delaware. That's a new point of emphasis this year. And so it's it's little things like that that have kind of added up. And, you know, he will need to make adjustments on that. That's just kind of how it is. Um, but his his game is clearly, I think, taking a step up. He's, he's dominated, again, small teams, but he's dominated them. And that's what you really needed to see from a guy like him. Yep. Uh, Ryan, is there anything specifically in terms of players that you want to talk about from these first three games? Because... There's a lot of interesting things we could say about Daryl Morsell getting benched, I think, is one. Anthony Cowan looks to be a little bit more confident than he was in years past, trying to take that leadership role in a team where he wasn't necessarily having to be the leader. So what do you think about all of these things? Um, I don't know if I have a huge amount to add. Um, Yeah, I mean, the... I don't know if I'm quite as high on Jalen Smith as you guys are yet, uh, but obviously, big fan. Um, really like what Anthony Cowan's doing, and uh, I am interested. I think the the three point struggles are, are very noteworthy, but certainly something that can be overcome. I'm interested in seeing how that happens, and uh, just sort of the. 
I don't know, tracking other things like the if it's just shooting that we're worried about, like I think that that could get better, but uh, you know, player like teams don't necessarily become amazingly better at shooting in one season. So at a certain point, that might just be where they're at. Obviously, three games, it's too close to tell. Uh, turnover percentage, though, you know, certainly still small sample size, but it's something we get on Maryland and especially Mark Turgeon about a lot. And they're, they're at 67th, which is, I mean, they're usually in, you know, way, way worse than that. So that's, uh, and that's one thing you'd expect a team of young players to really not be good at, especially bringing in, you know, million freshmen. Um, so that's, that's certainly encouraging. And I think something that's, that's very noteworthy given, given all the criticism we'll, we usually do give about that. Absolutely. Uh, Thomas, I want to get to both of those things. First of all, it's the shooting and the three-point shooting has been an issue. Do you think it's just Maryland has the yips early in the season, which is possible, or is it this is not going to be a good shooting team? They don't have liked-out shooters like Kevin Herter was the guy you'd go to and you'd say, okay, if he's taking the three from this spot, it's probably going in. Maryland doesn't have those kind of lights-out shooters anymore, but even then, are you still worried that they have not shot the ball particularly well in the first three games? I'm a little less worried than you are, I think. Mostly because I think Aaron Wiggins is pretty close to the kind of shooter Herter was. He's not there, but he, he's he's close. Um, and, I mean, Wiggins went 4 of 8 on Monday against A&T. Anthony Cowan was off to a slow start and was 4 of 9. Both of those guys started very slow. Um, and, like, that was, that was honestly the majority of Maryland's shot attempts was those two guys. Um, Eric Ayala's looked a little hesitant early on um Sorrell Smith in this game was I think one of seven from three uh Daryl Morsell has hit a few threes but hasn't done much um Jalen Smith I think has taken a cup so like most of the shot attempts have come and I think will come from Cowan and Wiggins from deep and so their percentages will obviously rise and they did in this game and so I'm not super worried about it as a whole, but I think Maryland's general lack of depth, they don't have a ton of shooters. They don't have that many. I think that's why they really want uh, Sorrell Smith to sort of get comfortable in that. And I think because he's someone who, like Dion Wiley was last year, you can count on to, you know, maybe get hot and be a real shooting threat. And, and that's that's really what they need, I think. You would hope for that. We haven't seen it yet. And Reimer is a good point about the turnovers. I mean, in the Maryland basketball bingo game, turnovers is one of the closest places to the free space, right? We always complain about turnovers. Next to Maryland can't score against the zone. And the fact that they haven't turned the ball over that much is a really good sign. And I don't know what that is. I've, again, only watched one of the three games. I haven't watched them in depth in the ways that I'd like to. Why do you think it is that Maryland's suddenly starting to not turn the ball over as much as the average Maryland team does? Because the best Mark Turgeon teams had turnover issues. I think more than anything, I mean, they're just they're just not playing that sloppy, um, you know, which is really encouraging for a team as young as this is. Um, I think it's it's partly a factor of they've they've been together for a while, from Italy to you know the other things they've done. Um, and it, it definitely helps to have. I think Eric Ayala has been a big part of that. And Mark, you know, Mark Turgeon's just heaped a lot of praise on him. He hasn't really scored a lot. He didn't score at all against A and T, but he's been a very good facilitator. He's moved. He's helped move Cowan off the ball. Um, they've they've struggled to get a lot of good shots, or at least, or they've struggled to make shots against the zone um, until you know the first half of the A&T game, but what, you know, they've avoided a lot of the sloppy turnovers that were characteristic of Maryland in early season games in years past. Even in some big games too. And I think that Hofstra will be another team where they play a lot of zone. Mark Turgeon said as much. And at this point, Maryland needs reps against the zone, no matter how good it is. And uh, one more thing on basketball before we transition to football fun, which there's a lot of it to get to. 
Uh, Ryan, I think the one thing that he mentioned, that Thomas mentioned just a second ago, about Anthony Cowan playing off the ball, because in Melo Trimble's final season, you'll remember, of course, he played a lot more off the ball as Cowan started to facilitate. Now we've seen Cowan move off the ball, and it gives more versatility to Maryland's offense. And they've needed that, because last year they kind of had one look, and Anthony Cowan had to play the entire game because of it. And now that he does not have to essentially do that, I think it does offer up a few more different looks for Maryland and could contribute a little bit to why they aren't turning the ball over as much. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, one thing is interesting because that was one thing I was looking at going into the season. Like, why he, you can't play him a million minutes a game again. And in... Like, finally, that seems to be, like, happening. I don't know. But the, like, having another guard who can do that is the way that you give Cowan a, like, a break. And, like, physically, mentally, just, like, that way he doesn't have to, like, always be the guy. And, yeah, I mean, he's also shown that he can be a uh, pretty big... um, like he can certainly make contested or not contested uh, transition three pointers, and I think he just, you know, it, it adds to anyone's game. But uh, he'll, it's not quite like Mello, who is very much, you could you could make him the off ball guy with Cowan, and he was still like Mello would still be really good at it. Cowan's ultimate role does seem to still be with the ball in his hands, um, because he is such a good facilitator like that. And I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I don't. I, I certainly haven't watched all of all three games, but uh, you know, I've I've watched enough. I'd say it's part of it. It's the early season, and the games are on weird channels or streaming services that I cannot pay for because I don't have money. But you don't need to hear about that. Uh, Hofstra, Mount St. Mary's, two games in three days, and they play Marshall on Black Friday before Virginia in the Big Ten AC Challenge. Marshall will be their first real kind of test of the year, and then you get Virginia and the two conference games followed by Loyola Chicago. So we'll learn a lot more about Maryland in these next coming games. There's obviously some positives and some things that they have to improve upon, but I think at this point the positives right now will definitely outweigh the negatives because they did blow out somebody who was bad in NCAA and T, who was probably the worst team that they played. Well, now we have to go to the negative, and unfortunately that means we talk about football, and there's a lot of negatives, and Ryan, you're here. Outside of another torn ACL for Kasim Hill, for all that we joke about these things, it's terrible for Hill. He deserves better than having this happen to him again. But in this Indiana game, he wasn't playing particularly well, and then Tyro Pigram came in and Maryland exploded offensively. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, yeah, I'll have to look at... Uh... I don't know. I didn't, I didn't come over the box score of this one as much as I did in earlier games, but uh, I, can I don't say know. It is, uh, on offense, they started out all right, a couple of decent drives, and then, then it got sluggish, then they started punting, and then the turnovers happened, and then Hill got hurt. And then right after that, Pigram had a dr- couple of drives in the switch flips. This was after Indiana went on that crazy run. And then they ran a drive which looked like Maryland's offense, what everybody thought it could be. They were running the ball effectively. They were getting chunk plays. They were getting good pass plays as well, converting some third and mediums. And the offense looked just better than it had looked at really any point in a while. I mean, Indiana's more of a real team than, say, Illinois, Minnesota, or Rutgers was. And it looked at better than any point in any of the other games that Maryland has played. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Indiana's the team most – we're all going to look back at the end of the season. Indiana's the team in the Big Ten, hell, maybe even nationally, that most just approximates Maryland just by its general, like, level of play. I don't know. Like, in, it's a in the Big Ten – It's a school that plays football. Certainly, that too. But even if you, you know, don't even – if you don't even worry about larger, like, society context, like – Indiana and Maryland are about on the same level this year and have been in past years. And, uh, you know, every game that Maryland plays seems to be either a 30-point win or a 30-point loss, except for this one. Um, every year, right? Every year against pretty Indiana, much. it's That's... a 30-point win, 30-point loss, and Indiana, the game is nuts. Yeah, it's like down to the final possession. So that's... I don't know. It's always fun. It was an interesting game. Fun to watch. It was uh, like, more interesting than I thought it was going to be. 
I was compelled Definitely. to watch this game as opposed to the other games that were going on, which was strange. Sure. Not a whole lot of uh, marquee games last weekend or or next weekend. No, or it went, not really. This, this season's been – the last couple of Saturdays have been uh, you, games you like – you – in advance, you're like, wow, this is not going to be that fun. And then we call those games academic because right. it feels like you just yeah. know the results already. This season's been kind of boring because you're kind of like, oh, well, we kind of know what's going to happen here, right? And the weekend before yeah, I mean, is often the weekend that's most approximating that until Maryland upsets Ohio State, which might not actually happen. Probably won't happen, but you know what? I could dream. Uh, about this sure. game, though, Thomas, Maryland had run the ball, I think, for nearly 400 yards, or at least it was close to that. We can take a look at that. Anthony McFarland set a Maryland freshman rushing record. He looked absolutely dominant. Javon Leak looked really good until he got hurt. This was unlike most Maryland losses, because in Maryland losses, as we said, they get blown out. They look terrible. But in this game, they played well enough to win until they got to the red zone and when they made dumb mistakes. And that, at least for Maryland this year, when they were in the red zone, they hadn't really didn't that poorly they haven't been in the red zone that often and they hadn't turned the ball over but in this game both of those things happened that's directly why they lost yeah i mean you you really hit that on the head like the things that they've done really the best this year were you know really limiting turnovers even when things weren't going well offensively and scoring in the red zone when they got there joseph petrino i mean he hasn't missed a field goal this year he missed an extra point after a holding call this weekend uh, so that kind of came back to hurt him. The, um, but but even more so, it was just the the turnovers and missing chances in the red zone. And Indiana just capitalized on pretty much all of its red zone chances. And so those two things, they, you know, you, you really just can't win the game when it when when that's the case. Even when you hold the ball for thirty nine minutes, which is the most I think Maryland's held on to the ball in like. 27 years. They have 353 um, rushing yards. You don't normally lose games when you run the ball for 353 yards. Or or, or gain 500 total yards, unless you're the Buccaneers. Uh, but, yes. <laughs> Good point. My gosh. Something about, like, something about that this weekend. Like, at <laughs> least Maryland was getting field goals. But it wasn't enough because well, Tyrell defense also wasn't... Had 10 for 13 for 146 yards and threw the ball really well and Maryland still lost. Yeah, I mean, the the couple of turnovers early in this like Maryland went up was up 6 nothing in the first quarter and it should have been a lot more. And then Indiana scored 21 unanswered in like the first half in like the first part of the second quarter. So suddenly it was 21-6 and that's when Hill got hurt and like Pigram to his credit, I mean that's the best Pigram's looked all year by a mile. Um, and it was really comparable to how he looked in the Texas game. And I don't know if it was that he knew he was going to, um, you know, see extended time. You know, it's obviously so hard to know that because you just, you see the quarterback go down, like, and you come right in. He doesn't, you know, it's not like he knew how serious Hill's injury was. Um, and so, but but whatever the case was, I mean, he he and McFarland really just just kept Maryland in the game. Um, the the two freshman wide receivers I think are worth mentioning, uh, Jay Sean Jones, Dante Demas, both were really really productive. Well, Demas I think they combined for ten catches. Drops, unfortunately, but beyond that, mm-hmm. I mean, both of them had their best games in a long time. Like we barely talked about these players the last couple of weeks. That's largely because Maryland had no Well, this was Demas' career game. This was yeah, Demas' career game. it was definitely Demas' career game. And Jason Jones, who had a couple of moments here and there after the Texas game, he also played a really good game in this, in this Indiana game as well. And it's just a shame that they spoiled it with self-inflicted wounds because they should have beaten Indiana. There was no reason why they should not have. And that, to me, is going to be the frustrating thing that they're going to look back on and say we should have won that game. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you play the Maryland-Indiana game over, like if you match those teams up against each other ten times, Maryland probably wins seven of those. Maybe six, but even then, I think they're a slight – I think they're more talented. But they, they didn't play like it against Indiana, uh, which, which is – They played shame. like it, but they played less disciplined. Yes, which was a problem. That's really what it was. They, I think they're the most penalized team in the Big Ten – uh, the turnovers were something they weren't doing, but they did in this game, and it cost them, and it's unfortunate. And 
And Ryan, I mean, for me, like this is the microcosm of Maryland football right now, and it's emblematic in this game. There's potential, and you can see it. There is talent, and you can see it. But in the end, it caused their own demise. In many ways, it happens a lot more against the teams where they should be competitive against them and need to win in order to take that next step. And yet, here they are every single year. There's a game like this where they just do not take that next step, whatever the game may be. And it's unfortunate because at this point where the program has throw all that has happened before this game aside, Maryland at this point in its development should not be having these kinds of games anymore, and yet they still do. Like, sure, maybe, but after everything that's gone on this season, I think trying to relate things that happened this season to things that happened previous seasons uh, is is just not going to tell us that much. Like, I think Indiana are pretty – Indiana and Maryland are pretty similar teams. Maryland played better, didn't – you know – Bill C's postgame win expectancy had them at 78%, which is very high for a team that loses. Usually, I mean, it, which it, uh, that's an algorithm that takes all the stats from the game and basically says, what did you, uh, most of the time, like, wh- what are your chances are, what are your chances of winning this game? And it said 78% of the time, given these stats, Maryland would have won. It said, the various turnovers Maryland had counted for 11 extra points on the part of Indiana, which doesn't seem that hard to believe. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, and it's, it's not, but it's not even that the turnovers were all the same. I mean, one was by your backup quarterback when you're driving near the end of the game. One was by Anthony McFarland, which I don't particularly remember if he's, had uh, turnover issues this season, but um, don't think so. So it's things like that. You know, I'm sure penalties always play play a part in Maryland football, especially this season. But it, that didn't seem to be anything too egregious this time. Uh, they weren't any stupid ones, but they would get holding penalties that would put them in bad situations. I think they still had like nine penalties for like 90 yards, which isn't what you'd like to say. Not super great, but yeah, I think like. I mean, anything in this game, like, I don't know. It's just all, it would have been a nice game to have, obviously. Would have been, you know, I think this program would have definitely benefited from going to a bowl game, like, especially this season. But, I mean, five wins in a season like this, uh, you know, I imagine most fans will probably take it and say, well, this was... We all kind of thought this was going to be horrible on the field this year. It wasn't. Uh, you know, two players just decommitted from Maryland tonight, so we might, uh, you know, not – whatever happens next is going to be probably difficult. But, uh, you know, season certainly could have been worse on the field, even though, like, it's hard, like, to really care about what happens on the field after everything else that happened. They always have that win over Texas. They always have those two wins over Texas. They're fantastic. Uh, we need to talk about the two players that decommitted, and it happened right as we were recording instead of how it usually happens, which is right after this recording stops. But enough of the Inside Baseball recorded the podcast. Thomas, let's talk about these decommitments. They had lost a couple of defensive backs. They had already had a decommitment prior to today, and now a very, very tiny recruiting class for 2019. Jesus, I don't even know what year it is anymore. Has gotten tinier. Yeah, so both guys are from the Tampa area. Um, Amarian Brown, the wide receiver. Trey Sean Ward, a running back. Um, Brown was committed in April. Ward was, I guess, a little bit of a surprise. He committed in September, uh, which was <laughs> after all the initial reports of, you know, the toxic culture, things like that. And so. You know, for for Maryland to get a recruit like after all that seemed like he was at, he was clearly in on the coach, beyond, you know, beyond anything else. Because you know, a lot most of the guys who I think are recruited now are are sold either are, are either sold on the school or are just waiting to see who the new coach is. Um, being a UMD, basically. Yeah, I mean, th- there's still a few from from some other places, but. Like, it, it's kind of hard to blame anyone for <laughs> reopening recruitments at this point. No, I'm not blaming yeah. anybody. And and I think also like, it's 
it wouldn't be surprising if we realistically throughout this whole thing, like, you know, once, once the ESPN story came out, once Durkin was, was placed on administrative leave, like I imagine most kids, you know, whatever your commitment level, it certainly goes down. Even if you're not, you know, technically you haven't, you know, tweeted out that you've reopened your recruitment, you're probably listening to other schools more than you are, more than you were previously. And, uh, I don't know, like you're, it certainly wouldn't be surprising to see a couple more guys go, but yeah, like I have no idea what any, what any player is doing. It's really hard to tell. Well, it is hard to tell, but I also think I'm not as necessarily concerned about the recruiting class because that wasn't a really big one to begin with. It's the players on the roster think that I'm more worried mm-hmm. about. You know what I mean? There's a lot of good players that could end up leaving, and you worry about it's... some of that. I'm not saying anything yeah. in general, but it's a, just a genuine concern that some players could leave, and that's where a lot of attrition comes in. Not necessarily with decommitments, but they got a lot of talented players on this roster that may not stay. And right now, there isn't much left that you have to be excited about other than some of these talented players. And that's what I, my biggest concern is. I think the uh, it'll be like whoever comes in, whoever the next coach is, it's definitely going to be more like in a way like every new coach sort of has to recruit his team again because you can always transfer. But there's the added with this, you know, if you applied for an NCAA waiver, would you have a better case than, you know, your average player or just, you know, you've seen everything that happens. You're saying, wow, I would love to play college football somewhere that isn't here. It's and all, all very defensible opinions. Um, and, that's sort of what makes this next coaching hire so crucial uh, is that this guy's going to have to, you know, administration's going to want him to keep as many players as possible. And that's going to be real tough. That's going to be a task, but I don't think we should talk too much about the coaching search at this point because who knows how it even develops. And at this point, I think it would be disingenuous to talk about it, especially until the season ends, even though there are now more uh, schools in competition with Maryland for new head coaches, but they're all equally dumpster fires, I guess. Uh, so we even really want to talk about Ohio State, Thomas? Like, Maryland's not beating them. I think there's a chance they could be competitive. My initial thought was, hey, Ohio State doesn't play defense. Maryland's better on offense. This might be fun. And then they do what they do against Michigan State. Though Michigan State wasn't great on offense against Maryland either, to be fair. Uh, I have no hope for this game. It's on network television because, you know, Ohio State draws ratings. Maryland's final two games this year are on network television, which, sorry to ABC affiliates across the country for that. It was Fox last year. It's ABC this year. Meanwhile, I I just don't know if there's much you could reasonably expect Maryland to do in a game like this. I mean, if they win, it's one of the greatest wins in Maryland's program history, and it would spoil Ohio State's season, let's be honest. That wouldn't be too bad. But I, I don't even think that's in the realm of remote feasibility at this point. Yeah, I mean, the, the spread is 17. Maryland has only really covered 17-point underdogs, like, once in the last however many years, and that was when they beat Texas. Um, I don't know. I, I don't it's, – it's probably not worth expecting. I think Maryland will probably be a little more competitive – well, It'll be hard to be less competitive against Ohio State than Maryland's been. Um, um, the last couple of years I'm thinking about it, uh, what did they score? Three in the 2016 game last year. They got a kick return and nothing else. The year before that, that was the Randy Edsel walk-off game. And the first year they played Ohio State, they gave up 52-24. Yes, which there were people who I knew very well that thought Maryland was going to win that game. Whoops. But anyway, I'm not going to rehash that. But Maryland, of all the big teams, at least they've beaten Penn State and Michigan. They have done nothing against Ohio State. No, and this is, uh, well, I guess we get to say his name now. This is the Dwayne Haskins return game. I don't think anyone gives any amount of craps about that. I don't think anybody's thinking about it right now, to be honest with you. I'm sure it'll be, it would have been a way bigger topic in in a normal Maryland season. Um, you know, considering the fact that, like, 
probably not that many fans are going um, that aren't Ohio State fans. And just generally now we got so much other stuff to talk about around Maryland. Um, it it would have been a major storyline, I think, most other times. It would, and it would have been interesting, especially, you know, imagine making fun of – imagine being mad at Dwayne Haskins after he's having – What's almost, I mean, he'll be probably top, he's at least top five in the Heisman voting in his first season as a starter. Could go to the NFL after this season if he wanted to. I I think probably right now he wouldn't. Um, but uh, that, that would be a very interesting topic. Because I think most sane Maryland fans are not like, oh, I can't believe he did that. Uh, and the but, Maryland players aren't either. Like Adam McLean. Oh, I'm sure. Um, Adam McLean is his neighbor. And like they're close friends, and they're they're still close friends, and like McLean just said all good things about Dwayne. It's like it's great to see him, you know, doing what he's doing. Um, I also want to beat him on Saturday. You know, I mean, it's that kind of thing. It's, I think, players especially just they they really understood all that. Um, so there, I mean, a few fans hold grudges. I don't think I think that's probably a vocal minority at this point. Uh, at this point, those are probably also the people that want Mike Loxley to be the next head coach. And Here's the thing. If we hired Loxley, the, if Maryland hires Loxley the first time, Dwayne Haskins is probably their quarterback. I, it, that's, the, that's the other thing, and let's not think about that because then that opens up a can of worms that we shouldn't really open up. But whatever the case may be, I mean, this is not a great Ohio State team. The only thing, well, by their original standards, this is not a great Ohio State team. But the only thing I could say about this game that's in Maryland's favor is Michigan's next week, and Ohio State still has a chance at the playoff if they beat them. So Maryland might be able to catch them looking ahead, at least temporarily. That's the only good thing about this game. And it's that kind of sleepy game that can catch you napping a little bit and could certainly catch Ohio State napping. Don't well, Ohio, State when they lost napping. To, Ohio State, when they lost to Purdue, you know, they just gave up so many big plays. And like Maryland can do that. If Maryland's if Maryland's gonna upset someone this year, it's gonna be with big plays. So I mean that's that's kind of how that's gonna have to happen. If they did in the hypothetical random universe in which they would do that, is this the best Maryland win in well certainly the Big Ten era would be. Uh, I mean beating Texas twice is great, but beating Ohio State when they're the top ten of the college football playoff would be better. Uh, it would probably be the best Maryland win since I can't even think about the last time they've had a win this good. I think you could safely call it, you know, I guess we don't want to say of all time because of, you know, we don't know what happened a million years ago. But gee, So in 2007, be... they beat two, like, top five teams. One of them, guess who that was? Yeah. Ha-ha! You thought we weren't going to mention them, and we have. Who rides? I don't know. Rutgers, folks. Rutgers. It's a Rutgers. That was the year the Rutgers and Kansas were both. That's either your Rutgers and Kansas, I believe, were both number two at different points. Yep. Oh, 2007, of course. 2007, which SB Nation, I have to say, some of the, my favorite stuff that SB Nation has ever done is on the 2007 college football season, which is the most bonkers thing ever in the history of everything. I remember growing up in Massachusetts that year with – Bo- thinking like I saw Boston College was number two, and I was like, they are absolutely not the second best team in the nation. And also, Matt Ryan did not have a receiver who would get a single yard after the catch. But that's uh, so that's neither here Maryland nor there. beat two top ten teams that year. It's crazy to Damn. think about that. It's just nuts. But I mean, but probably best then, win since then if they do this. Um, I mean, you could argue in many ways it's their best win since two thousand one or two thousand two. Or something like I mean, they beat Florida State in 2004. We will argue this if it happens. when we have to. Yeah, because it, <laughs> it's not going to happen. But you know what? I like to talk about these things sometimes because it's fun. Speaking so, of big wins, let's talk about... Field hockey. Yeah. Yes. Final four. Again. And they Final beat four. UConn. They got revenge again. Yeah, I mean, that was a, you know... Maryland got its revenge game. Maryland went up to stores and took a 4 nothing lead on UConn like at halftime. Um, or just early in the second half, they were at 4 nothing. They won that game 4-2. UConn at the time was undefeated, riding this huge winning streak. Um, UConn's like a good team. And I, I still don't really understand why they were in College Park. Because Maryland was the number two overall seed. So putting, you know, just kind of the way a tournament theoretically would work, is, you know, putting the 
the team you put there would be the number seven, except UConn is number four in the poll and number five in RPI, and they're closer to Princeton, who was the number three seed. So that that that, that didn't make sense, and it would have been honestly a real shame for Maryland if they had fallen to a, a very good under-seeded team. Um, and they almost did. I mean, it was an overtime game. It was a very evenly matched game. Um, Maryland just kind of made a couple, made a big defensive play in overtime, made, you know, made the winning shot in overtime. That's kind of what it comes down to. Those low-scoring games, I mean, those low-scoring sports, just really any random thing can just be the, be the turning point. Mm-hmm. Random stuff is random. So who does Maryland play in the final four? That would be Princeton. Yeah, there you go. So we we talked Maryland and Princeton have played each other earlier this year. It was the weirdest like field hockey game I've ever come across. Maryland was down four to one and then Oh right. Scored I made a joke about goals. that once. Yeah, and then scored three goals in the final like eighteen minutes, including one in the last ten seconds with an empty net. Um, well, right. after pulling the goalie, bringing in an extra attacker, tied the game, then won it in overtime. And that was at the time to stay undefeated. You know that I do remember because I made a Leafs joke about that. Yeah. Thank you. So. For me. And then if they win that game, presumably they're playing still undefeated North Carolina. Yes, still undefeated has destroyed everyone. North Carolina is playing Wake Forest in the Final Four. Uh, North Carolina's two wins over Wake Forest this year, I believe, are like 7-1 and 5-2. We're talking UConn basketball levels of destroying people. Yeah, although, I mean, you know, UNC obviously isn't like this any year, and I'm not going to pretend that I've watched them play. But I know that if anyone can give them a real run, it's Maryland, and they haven't met. So we'll see. So, two wins for Maryland. One was against Dayton. They didn't beat them by a lot, but Dayton was a 19 in the NCAA tournament last year. It's one of those sneaky good tests for a Maryland team that never really schedules well, particularly at a conference, which they did here. And uh, they played decently well. I think their first game was against Coppin State, who's terrible. But uh, what about those two games for this newly rejiggered Maryland women's team? Yeah, so, I mean, a couple things. In the first game, they didn't uh, shoot well but they did everything else well, and Coppin State is bad, and so Maryland just really handled them easily. Um, in the second game, they shot well. Um, they didn't do a ton else well, but they were up by a lot early, and so that, you know, didn't really matter. I mean, Dayton's a good team. Maryland was very much in control, so, so encouraging to see. Uh, it'll be interesting. They go on the road uh Tonight, this will be posted Wednesday morning. So the um, to George Washington, generally a pretty good mid-major. Didn't they win the A-10 last year? Um, the, I think they might. I know when George Washington was its best in women's basketball, the coach that was there then is now at Northwestern. Okay. Um, but they're, they're always a very good team. And so that, that's a good test, especially on the road. Like, Maryland, the women have, haven't played – a ton of road games. Then they'll go to South Carolina after that. Um, South Carolina doesn't have Aja Wilson anymore, but is still a top 10 team. That's a real fascinating matchup. I think that's honestly going to be a toss up. So fun. Yeah. That's an nationally televised game too, I believe. Yeah. I believe that's ESPN too. Yeah. I mean, last year, South Carolina beat up Maryland because they had more talent. That game, by the way, does start during the second half of Maryland men's basketball against Mount St. Mary's. Oh, which is at like six o'clock on or four o'clock on Sunday. I That's at four. Women's South Carolina are at five thirty. So ah. give yourself a little Maryland basketball doubleheader. After going on after like you're watching the Washington NFL team and the Ravens both lose. Or you could watch Maryland men's soccer in the NCAA tournament. You could do that too. Lots of things going on on Sunday. That That's I early Sunday afternoon. Oh, I'll choose to watch that over the Jaguars at this point. Uh, they did get Definitely in. They, do lost, that. they lost the penalties to Indiana. Penalties stink, and they don't tell you anything about anything in soccer. Penalties or lotteries, everybody who will follow soccer says. But they ended up being an 11 seed. They got a home game. They didn't have to play a playing game. And I hate saying this, but it definitely feels like Maryland got this because they're Maryland and they're a program of pedigree. And they're not a bad team by any stretch, but they don't seem to me like they should be a seeded team this year. 
just based on the way that they've played. But when you're the program that they are, you sometimes get those breaks, and they did. Well, I think so, – so Maryland is just kind of a weird resume this year. They played the second and toughest schedule in the country. They had the number 12 RPI in the um, – and they, they're, they're playing their best soccer now, basically. You know, they – in the last few weeks of the season, they beat Denver. They, they beat uh, Penn State. They beat – Michigan State on the road in the Big Ten tournament. They pushed Indi- they've pushed Indiana to the, to the brink twice. Um, so a very good team, but like eight, six, and four isn't really an overwhelming record. They started the season horribly, um, just couldn't do anything on offense. Um, but so so to me, they were sort of a borderline, you know, top sixteen team. I personally didn't expect them to, but wouldn't have been stunned if they had gotten maybe like 15 or 16. 11 is hilarious because that's higher than their RPI. Maryland has not been ranked all season. That's what I'm saying. And, and now they're 11 overall. Pedigree, which happens. I mean, it happens in every single sport, and it's okay. We can admit that it happens, and I know we usually complain about it in other sports where Maryland doesn't have pedigree, but in soccer, men's soccer, they do. Well, I think, I think pedigree kind of just amplifies some of the things you believe about them otherwise. Well, like they're you know the peaking at the right time, strength of schedule RPI plus plus the pedigree kind of allows you to overrate them a little bit. Well, Not to say that wanna, they're. If you want to piss Sasso off? I wouldn't. That that like I don't know if that's a part of it. It could be. It might be. They all know him. Yeah. I you know I'll definitely watch all of those things as opposed to watching the Jaguars on Sunday. Seems like a lot of better things I could do with my life than watching that. Um, Ryan, do you have anything to add on non-revenue sports, women's basketball, any thoughts you might have? I do not, except for that I'm trying to do a better job of keeping up with women's basketball than I have in the past, and I'm super excited for it. Yeah, I'm going to try to do better with that, too, but sometimes it's hard when the games aren't on TV, and more of them are not, but, eh, whatever the heck you can do. Uh, So, I think we've got to everything, at least at this point, I mentioned field hockey. (laughs) Yeah, but we we missed out on volleyball. We did miss out on volleyball. Volleyball. Left Ohio State has now. Yeah, so so there's one win over Ohio State. That's um, nice. Well, they'll get another in basketball. Well, they'll get two in women's basketball, maybe. Maybe, possibly. Not we'll not the same Ohio State from years past. Very much not the same. Uh, but they went up to UConn and lost by thirty, I think. They do that every year, though. Well, this is true, but I mean that. I mean that's more like Ohio State women's basketball. They've always like scheduled the toughest you can find, and then like they get some early season losses, but then they're you know a really loaded team with Kelsey Mitchell after that. Like, but they don't have her anymore. They they lost all their starters, so we'll see what they can do. Um, as far as volleyball, though, I mean, after losing everything that they lost to improve on their Big Ten record from last year is a huge accomplishment, really, especially with the number of games they have left. And I think three of their last four games were against top ten teams, so like the scheduling kind of helped them out. But still, to to be that successful after losing, you know, the the uh, Steve Aird and his two highest rated recruits, and another starter, and honestly, another future commit. Um, you know, it's a real testament to Adam Hughes, um, the job he's done. And the, you know, he, he brought in some transfers and got a couple extra commits um, after taking over. And pretty much all of those additions have, have really paid off. Well, that's good. I don't think it's necessarily NCAA tournament good, but can you really complain at this point? No, not really. I mean, this is certainly better than anyone realistically could have expected the team to uh perform this year and they're they're 49th in rpi so like if they get one of those wins then maybe we're actually talking about it for real um so i think well i mean you know we'll we'll, we'll kind of talk about that when we need to yeah because they play brutally good teams and when we talk about the top of the big 10 we're talking the best teams in the entire sport minnesota's nebraska's illinois of the world and they're dominant every single year so, but the, the steps that this program has taken to when I came into school to where it is now is light years. 
And being in a volleyball conference helps. The Big Ten is a volleyball conference. There's a lot of import placed on volleyball, and they're playing a lot better at it, and that's a fun program to be around. I think anybody who's ever covered that will tell you that. So that's great news for them. Now I think we've gotten to everything. I can't believe I forgot volleyball. Normally don't forget them, Thomas. I feel ashamed of myself. Happens. I know. It's always somebody. It's field hockey usually, but now that they're in about to play for the final four, they could play for a national championship. I'm not going to forget them. Uh, It's it's, it's all right. I mean, uh, one more question, Thomas. Will there be more Ohio State fans than Maryland fans at the game on Saturday? At the start of the game, no. At the end of the game, yes. Ryan? Uh, there's going to be a lot of Ohio State fans. I'm going to go start and end. Ohio State's going to get our number one, but we won't be able to tell because they all wear red. They all wear red, and there will be a lot of silver in between. But Big Nut will be there. Big <sighs> Nut, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the dysfunctional Viper pit. I think he went to the last two. Mar- I think he's at every Ohio State game. Uh I I don't know. I, at this point, I'm just looking for things to be mildly excited about if I watch that game on Saturday, which, you know what, there's probably a chance I won't. <laughs> I don't need to put myself through that again. I think I've had enough of football for this year, and I probably will have many people who are going to agree with me on that. But, eh, well, Maryland men's soccer in the NCAA tournament, field hockey can win a national championship, and it's basketball season. I would have I definitely wanted to call the uh, Maryland-Indiana game on Saturday, the It's Now Basketball Season Bowl, but uh, nobody mentioned that on the broadcast, so I didn't have a chance to joke about it, unfortunately. What a shame. What a shame. Don't think Lisa Byington would have mentioned that at any point. Actually, loser starts basketball season. Winner gets to stay in football season. Well, I asked Alex about that. As I said after Maryland lost, is it basketball season yet? And he said, technically it is. And I was kind of joking about that, but it didn't come off, but whatever. We butchered that joke. We butchered the end of this show. But that's what it is right now in the dysfunctional Viper pit. At least Maryland basketball is somewhat exciting. Both men's and women's. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we will speak to you for a next time. Until then, of course.